I insist thus emphatically on the importance of genius and the necessity of allowing it to unfold itself freely both in thought and in practice, being well aware that no one will deny the position in theory, but knowing also that almost everyone in reality is totally indifferent to it. People think genius is a fine thing if it enables a man to write an exciting poem or paint a picture, but in its true sense, that of originality in thought and action, though no one says that it is not a thing to be admired, nearly all at heart think that they can do well without it. Unhappily, this is too natural to be wondered at. Originality is the one thing which unoriginal minds cannot feel the use of. They cannot see what it is to do for them. How should they? If they could not see what it would do for them, it would not be originality. The first service which originality has to render them is that of opening their eyes, which, being once fully done, they would have a chance of being themselves original. Meanwhile, recollecting that nothing was ever yet done which someone was not the first to do, and that all good things which exist are the fruits of originality, let them be modest enough to believe that there is something still left for it to accomplish, and assure themselves that they are more in need of originality the less they are conscious of the want in sober truth, whatever homage may be professed or even paid to real or supposed mental superiority, the general tendency of things throughout the world is to render mediocrity the ascendant power among mankind. In ancient history, in the Middle Ages, and in a diminishing degree through the long transition from feudality to the present time, the individual was a power in himself, and if he had either great talents or a high social position, he was a considerable power. At present, individuals are lost in the crowd. In politics, it is almost a triviality to say that public opinion now rules the world. The only power deserving the name is that of masses, and of governments while they make themselves the organ of the tendencies and instincts of masses. This is as true in the moral and social relations of private life as in public transactions. Those whose opinions go by the name of public opinion are not always the same sort of public. In America, they are the whole white population. In England, chiefly the middle class. But they are always a mass, that is to say, collective mediocrity. And what is a still greater novelty, the mass do not now take their opinions from dignitaries in church or state, from ostensible leaders, or from books. Their thinking is done for them by men much like themselves, addressing them or speaking in their name on the spur of the moment through the newspapers. I am not complaining of all this. I do not assert that everything better is compatible as a general rule 
war with the present low state of the human mind. But that does not hinder the government of mediocrity from being mediocre government. No government by a democracy or a numerous aristocracy, either in its political acts or in the opinions, qualities and tone of mind which it fosters, ever did or could rise above mediocrity, except in so far as the sovereign many have let themselves be guided which in their best times they have always done, but by the counsels and influence of a more highly gifted and instructed one or few. The initiation of all wise or noble things comes and must come from individuals, generally at first from some one individual. The honour and glory of the average man is that he is capable of following that initiative that he can respond internally to wise and noble things and be led to them with his eyes open i am not countenancing the sort of hero-worship which applauds the strong man of genius for forcibly seizing on the government of the world and making it do his bidding in spite of itself all he can claim is freedom to point out the way. The power of compelling others into it is not only inconsistent with the freedom and development of all the rest, but corrupting to the strong man himself. It does seem, however, that when the opinions of masses of merely average men are everywhere become or becoming the dominant power, the counterpoise and corrective to that tendency would be the more and more pronounced individuality of those who stand on the higher eminences of thought. It is, in these circumstances, most especially exceptional individuals, instead of being deterred, should be encouraged in acting differently from the mass. In other times, there was no advantage in doing so, unless they acted not only differently, but better. In this age, the mere example of nonconformity, the mere refusal to bend the knee to custom, is itself a service, precisely because the tyranny of opinion is such as to make eccentricity a reproach. It is desirable, in order to break through that tyranny, that people should be eccentric eccentricity has always abounded when and where strength of character has abounded and the amount of eccentricity in a society has generally been proportional to the amount of genius mental vigour and moral courage which it contained that so few now dare to be eccentric marks the chief danger of the time I have said that it is important to give the freest scope possible to uncustomary things in order that it may in time appear which of these are fit to be converted into customs. But independence of action and disregard of custom are not solely deserving of encouragement for the chance they afford that better modes of action and customs more worthy of general adoption may be struck out. 
nor is it only persons of decided mental superiority who have a just claim to carry on their lives in their own way. There is no reason that all human existences should be constructed on some one or some smaller number of patterns. If a person possesses any tolerable amount of common sense and experience, his own mode of laying out his existence is the best not because it is the best in itself, but because it is his own mode. Human beings are not like sheep, and even sheep are not undistinguishably alike. A man cannot get a coat or a pair of boots to fit him unless they are either made to his measure, or he has a whole warehouse full to choose from, and it is easier to fit him with a life more than with a coat, or are human beings more like one another in their whole physical and spiritual conformation than in the shape of their feet? If it were only that people have diversities of taste, that is reason enough for not attempting to shape them all after one model. But different persons also require different conditions for their spiritual development, and can no more exist healthily in the same moral than all the variety of plants can in the same physical atmosphere and climate. The same things which are helps to one person towards the cultivation of his higher nature are hindrances to another. The same mode of life is a healthy excitement to one, keeping all his faculties of action and enjoyment in their best order, while to another it is a distracting burden, which suspends or crushes all internal life. Such are the differences among human beings in their sources of pleasure, their susceptibilities of pain, and the operation on them of different physical and moral agencies, that unless there is a corresponding diversity in their modes of life, they neither obtain their fair share of happiness, nor grow up to the mental, moral, and aesthetic stature of which their nature is capable. Why then should tolerance as far as the public sentiment is concerned, extend only to tastes and modes of life which exhort acquaintance by the multitude of their adherents. Nowhere, except in some monastic institutions, is diversity of taste entirely unrecognized. A person may, without blame, either like or dislike rowing, or smoking, or music, or athletic exercises, or chess, or cards, or study, because both those who like each of these things and those who dislike them are too numerous to be put down, but the man, and still more the woman, who can be accused either of doing what nobody does, or of not doing what everybody does, is the subject of as much deprecatory remark as if he or she had committed some grave moral delinquency. Persons require to possess a title, some other badge of rank, or of the consideration of people of rank, to be able to indulge somewhat in the luxury of doing as they like without detriment to their estimation. 
to indulge somewhat, I repeat, for whoever allow themselves much of that indulgence incur the risk of something worse than disparaging speeches. They are in peril of a commission de lunatico, and of having their property taken from them and given to their relations.